Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings, all you food lovers. Welcome to the Catholic Cafe. Spiritual food, I guess I'm referring to. Tom Dorian, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Deacon Jeff? I am doing just fine. This you is, look hungry. I, I do look hungry. There's a good You're reason for that. You're in the wrong place. No, no. I'm in the right place for the wrong thing. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know what? This is going to be the fastest show we've ever recorded Ooh, today. Ooh, that's a pun. You know why, of course. Oh, yeah. It's, I believe this show is on fasting. We're talking about the understanding in the Catholic Church of fasting. Yes. Now, this is an often misunderstood Concept, something you and I need to do a little bit more. We probably need to often, do a little more for physical just reasons. Based on our waistlines, <laughs> exactly here. right. But you know what? What we're going to hopefully get across today is that we need to do this more for spiritual reasons uh, as well. Yes. The uh, the Christian people are really a penitential people. We are forever trying to unite ourselves with the suffering of Christ. That we are trying to participate fully in His suffering, so that we can participate fully in His resurrection. Right. And so one of the ways that we do that in the Catholic Church is we, we fast. Now, we didn't invent fasting. Who invented fasting? Well, we're going to talk about that. All right. Who invented fasting or where it came from anyway. But I wanted to start with a couple of scripture verses. Good good thing to do. Always a good place to start. And I want to uh, pick something from First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by giving heed to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, through the pretensions of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and enjoin abstinence from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And then, of course, if we read... Uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verse 19. Do you not see that whatever goes into a man from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and so passes on? So we look at that and we see that maybe the Bible saying we shouldn't fast. I mean, obviously in First Timothy up there we're talking about abstinence and he's looking at it from a negative perspective. Right. Yeah, dumb, dumb that down. I played too many times without a helmet, so dumb that down for me. <laughs> I understand. First Timothy talks about doctrines of demons, you know, deceitful spirits, this idea that maybe a man-made concept of fasting mm-hmm. here. But we have to understand that, that fasting has always been a part of the Jewish tradition. And if we look at the Old Testament, go back to the book of Judges, chapter 20, verse 26. Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And, of course, in 1 Samuel, chapter 7, verse 6, we read, So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And, of course, in Ezra, chapter 9, verse 5, And at the evening sacrifice I rose from my fasting with my garments and my mantle rent and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And, of course, in Daniel, chapter 10, verse 3, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. And so we see this practice of Penance and, and fasting is rampant 
obviously, in the Old Testament. Yeah, but they're doing it in conjunction with prayer or communicating with God. They're not doing it just for the sake of not eating. As you had mentioned earlier that we needed to fast more and you were looking at our waistlines, that would be the wrong reason to be doing your fast. Alone, anyway. Maybe there's a nice side benefit there. You know, good things come to those who pray and those who fast. But, But I will say that I agree with you that one of the benefits of fasting is this concept of uniting it in prayer with God. Right. That fasting itself becomes a prayer. And so often the words prayer, fast, abstinence, alms, penance, these things are all united and used not interchangeably, but they are used together a lot. Correct. So that one thing leads to another, and they're all interconnected. Right. Now, if we go on in the scriptures and we look and see, well, does that mean we should fast? Because we we always did fast. Yeah, we should. Well, we take our direction from, especially from the words of Jesus himself. Right. In fact, Jesus gives us instruction on fasting in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 6. He says, And when you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So obviously Jesus is telling us how to fast. So he wouldn't be telling us how to fast if he thought that fasting was wrong. Right. So those first two verses I read from First Timothy and from the Gospel of Mark that may make us think that fasting is not a good idea, here Jesus is telling us how to fast. Correct. Now, in your question, you'd asked about uniting it with, with prayer right. and doing it for the right reason. In Jesus' instruction about fasting, he tells us how to do it correctly. Mm-hmm. And that way is not to walk around saying, oh, woe is me, I haven't had a sandwich all day, you know. <laughs> it's more about that was good. keeping it, it's more about keeping it internal. Take care of your outward appearance. The whole idea is that you're not putting yourself on a pedestal. Right. The fact is that you are uniting yourself with the sufferings of Christ and that you are doing it for the right reason. Yeah, That's you, the key. Yeah, it's not about you. It's about your relationship. And then also, we know that uh, Christ's followers, that, that this is the church, obviously, he established on earth, will fast when he's gone. That's one of the things that he said in, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 15. He says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So here we are in the church today, and guess what? We fast. Right. But a lot of people misunderstand this whole concept of fasting. Uh, in fact, a lot of people have sort of jettisoned the whole concept of fasting. And that's what we got within, kind of... Within our church? I think within the entire or, world, but yeah. yeah, but I think within our church. But you know what? There, I mean, there are other religions that do fast. Certainly, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, it's a very spiritual practice and has always been a spiritual practice. Right. But I'm just saying that in terms of the everyday average person, we've kind of forgotten the fast. Yeah. And we forget that it was part of our early church history. Mm-hmm. If you look again at Scripture, we find out that, that fasting was rigorously practiced in Judaism and by the followers of John the Baptist before Jesus came along. And, of course, the, uh, the fast was always observed by the apostles, and it was largely accepted in the early church. If we just look at Acts chapter 13, verses 2 through 3, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands upon them and sent them off. So mm-hmm. Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to be sent off. And how do they prepare? 
before they do anything, they fast. They fast and they pray. Then they lay their hands upon them. Mm -hmm. And it was only through fasting that the Holy Spirit came to them and spoke to them and gave them the direction, the inspiration that they needed to go forth uh, and proclaim the gospel. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we go to uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. And 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, this is Paul, and he speaks of his hard life. And he says he's lived in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Now, obviously, much of that was fasting. You much think? of self-denial. You think? I think so. You don't think he was forced into that position? I think a bunch of times he was forced into that position. But yeah. you know what? If he was a, a good Jew, he was doing what good Jews did, and they fasted. Yeah. And so that was part of and, he and may if you be, read, He may be turning that into a Well, right, exactly right. If, if you read all of Second Corinthians in that, that section, you're going to find out that he is uniting all of his suffering with Christ. Yep. And that's the key. Right. Yep. That's what we need to keep doing. I also uh, would be curious as to what their definition of fasting is compared to what our definition of fasting is. I'll bet things were a lot harder. <laughs> I'm thinking they were. You know, I imagine they have things like you will you will not eat for the entire day, no food, no water. You'll stick yeah. needles in your eyes. Yeah, don't you even think about it. <laughs> it's going to be it's probably pretty awful. Um, yeah, it was very rigorous. Mm-hmm. I think for you know, a that's long tough. period of time. Yeah, that's a tough thing. And you, you read sometimes in the Bible about people fasting forty days. Now, right. I don't know that the that was a literal forty days, but it's going to be a long time, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but I will say that uh, we definitely need to to revisit the fast and understand mm-hmm. more about the fast. And we are certainly going to do that when we come back after our break. Wonderful. Before we go away, though, I want to remind folks about our wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. Tom, what are we going to find at thecatholiccafe.com? We're going to find all kinds of great stuff besides your uh, ugly mug. I'm sorry, your beautiful, (laughs) handsome face. You'll find that. You'll find links. You'll find all the previous shows. Uh, Yeah, exactly right. And we would love for folks to come and visit us there on the web. They can email you. Exactly right. They need to email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com because I want to hear more about the topics that you want to hear about and maybe hear some of your own stories. We'd love to share that with our listeners. So send us an email. Tell us about your particular journey. I'd love to hear about it. And so with that, we'll be back faster than you think. I'm Bester Zemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Born in the year 251 in Egypt, St. Anthony of the Desert rose to become the father of monasticism. He took these words of the gospel to heart. If you would be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor. As a young man of 20, he gave away his vast wealth and went to live in poverty and solitude in the desert. St. Anthony fasted on bread and water, only eating after sunset each day. The fasting strengthened him for the many spiritual assaults he would endure. Much like Christ's 40 days of fast in the desert, he was tortured by demonic spirits and tempted to great evil. But his strength and confidence in God never failed him. St. Anthony was known to have said, The devil is afraid of us when we pray and make sacrifices. He is also afraid when we are humble and good. He is especially afraid when we love Jesus very much. 
He runs away when we make the sign of the cross. Christ never abandoned him during these trials, but only made him stronger for his great vocation. St. Anthony's reputation began to grow, and he gathered many followers. He was known as a miraculous healer. He became a spiritual counselor to many and recommended a simple life based on the Gospels. He was finally convinced to found two separate monasteries and began a rule of life for monastic living. The monastery St. Anthony initiated were the first to be started, and thus began the great tradition and history of monastic life in the Church. These pioneering monks practiced prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and lived a life apart from the world in constant reparation for their sins and the sins of others. It is said that two Greek philosophers once came to St. Anthony because of his reputation for wisdom. He told them, If you think me wise, become what I am, for we ought to imitate the good. Had I gone to you, I should have imitated you, but, since you have come to me, become what I am, for I am a Christian. St. Anthony lived until the ripe old age of 105 and died peacefully in a cave near the Red Sea. He is a great witness to the simple life of prayer and fasting we as Christians are called to live. St. Anthony of the Desert's Feast Day is celebrated by the Universal Church on January 17th. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting here with Tom. Hello. Tom, you know, we, we've been fasting, so we don't have any food in front of us. That wasn't a fast break. You said it was going to be a fast break. It was a normal break. Well, all right. It seemed fast to me. Yeah. So let's move on. Let's keep talking about fasting. Please. We've, we've basically shown in Scripture, I think, where fasting is a good thing and where it has always been a practice of the early church. Mm-hmm. So now we need to look at more modern times. How do we fast or should we fast or why do we fast? Where we are supposed to fast before we receive the Eucharist. Right. Well, we're going to get to that in a second. But okay. first, I want to talk about just the very concept of fasting. Okay. And what good is what, it? What role does it play? We're going to start just by talking a little bit. Obviously, we all remember in Scripture that wonderful story of Jesus being tempted in the desert. Mm-hmm. And when the devil comes to him, when, when does the devil come to him in that 40 days? He comes towards the end, if I'm not mistaken. He at comes his at the very, moment. That's exactly. That's when he would be weakest, right. right? Because he hasn't eaten anything. Tempts him with bread. That's right. He's fasted for 40 right. days. So right. the devil comes and says, aha, I've got him now. Right. The son of God, the son of man is going to fall and bow to me because I've got a loaf of bread here. Right. And he thinks he's going to get him with that. Well, so that tells us something very important. If we look at those 40 days, we can look at it from this perspective. Mm-hmm. How did Jesus prepare for his encounter with the devil? Through fasting. Right. Through those 40 days of fasting. In fact, we read at the beginning of the fourth chapter of Matthew, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was hungry. Hungry to say the least, 40 days and 40 <laughs> nights. That's a, that's, yeah. a, that's a tough thing to do. Yeah. And so you start thinking about that, and that just seems to be... I don't know, weird. It seems to be wrong, doesn't it, to fast in preparation for a great contest 
Yeah, it does. Well, think about it. It does, but you know what? It sounds appealing, too, to agree. I mean, not for 40 days, but for four days. All right, well, but but I guess the point is, if you look at what we've been taught, what what our worldly advice is, what great sage advice we get, I mean, what did our moms oh, you tell get us? Out of this, you get side out of this cafe, and people are going to look at you like you are—you have lost your mind. I understand, but what what, are, what did our moms say when we were getting ready for school? We were getting ready to have a test at school. Oh, you got to eat a good meal. You got to eat a good breakfast. Finish, you gotta, finish your plate. But the point is, you got to eat. You right. got to fill your stomach. Right. And you—you you know, you teach sports, right? You're a coach. Yeah. And so, what do you do? You ever tell your uh, your young men who are going to go out in the football field or, or in the basketball game? Do you ever say, "Now, you guys, to prepare for today, don't eat a thing. <laughs> no, no carbs. No, of course not. You tell them the opposite, which is, yeah, eat eat properly, drink properly. That's right. And here, Tom, I thought you were a Catholic. Uh, <laughs> and what about? Uh, <laughs> and what about? You know, you have the big interview, the big meeting at the office. I mean, you certainly aren't going to go into that thing on an empty stomach. No. So, I mean, our world tells us we've got to fill ourselves up mm-hmm. with sustenance. Correct. In order to be prepared for something. That's correct. But then Jesus, what does he fill himself up with? Fasting, emptiness, prayer. Well, okay, he <laughs> fills himself up with the Spirit, the Holy right, Spirit. Right, right. What we need to look at this from a spiritual perspective is if we're going to prepare for any battle, especially a spiritual battle, that perhaps the concept of fasting is a way that we will best prepare for that spiritual battle. We can have a full stomach when we meet the devil, but that's not going to do it for us. Mm-hmm. Because then we'll be relying on the sustenance we get from the world. Mm-hmm. So what does that tell us about fasting? What does fasting physically do? What do we do with fasting? We don't eat food. We're not eating food. So we're not filling ourselves. Right. Now, if we're empty, then what can we fill ourselves with? The spirit. With, with God. Right. So if we have an empty stomach mm-hmm. or an empty heart, in other words, it's not filled with the world's concerns, mm-hmm. we, we can then fill them with what God wants us to fill them with, with God. And so then now suddenly God is the one that we draw on for strength. I've got to ask this question. It's a stupid question, but i got to ask it. You, you have to pray, though. I mean, it's not... That's not going to happen just because you're fasting. Are you saying that that is going to happen because you're fasting? Well, remember I was saying I think they were all united actions, like prayer, fasting, almsgiving. These are all united uh, in a way. So if you fast, okay, that's great. You, you fast. But if you do it for no particular reason, right? well, God's not going to fill your heart. God's right, not going to fill the emptiness. Okay. So, yes, prayer okay. is then part of fasting. All right. You would fast prayerfully. You would fast in a way that offered yourself your openness now. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Okay. I have denied myself the things that I think that I want. So I'm not crazy. That's no, not a not, stupid question. That's exactly it's not a stupid question. That's okay. a, I think that that's the heart of what we're talking about. Okay. That we've got to empty ourselves of the worldly concerns so that we can fill ourselves with God. Because you know what? If our, if our hearts are already full, mm-hmm. there's no room for God. That's true. And that's one of the big problems we have in the world. That's we have all these issues of selfishness and I think that people have uh forgotten to leave some room for God. And I think fasting is a way uh, in which we can do that. Yep. Now as Catholics, we have several different ways in which we fast, but primarily the fasting will occur on two days of the year. Two days of the year. Just two days of the year we officially required by the church to fast. Good Friday. That's one of them. Very good. Good Friday. No notes, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. 
And then the other is... He's staring at me with a big grin. Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. So we're only required to fast two days out of the year. It's not too difficult. We fast at the beginning of Lent, and then we fast at the end of Lent. Right. And so we mark that, those 40 days of Lent, with the fasting. Yeah. Now, at the beginning of the show, you had mentioned this concept of fasting an hour before the Eucharist. Right. You know, that's actually based, in principle, on the whole idea of the Lenten fast. Lent prepares us for Easter. The glories of Easter, the resurrection, Mm -hmm. the coming of God, Mm -hmm. Jesus coming again, rising from the dead, overpowering death. That wonderful, wonderful event Mm -hmm. is what we look forward to every year. Right. Right? And all the graces flow from that throughout the liturgical year. But Lent prepares us for that. If we deny ourselves... Again, we we take all of our wants and our needs, our particular desires, we take those down and we allow God to fill us up. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to prepare for Easter, to and receive the joy. And what better way to prepare for the Eucharist? That's exactly right, because effectively the Eucharist is the Easter sacrifice. It's what we receive every Sunday if we go to church every Sunday, which we should. Mm-hmm. But it, we can receive it every day right. if we go to daily Mass. Right. And so when we receive that Eucharist, we need to prepare to receive that Eucharist. Just like we, re- we prepare in Lent, we should prepare by having a one-hour fast. Mm-hmm. Now, again, as Catholics, some people have had some difficulty with this. Because it used to be a lot tougher. Early in the church, there used to be a midnight fast from midnight the night before until you received the Eucharist. Right. In fact, the word breakfast is break fast. That's how you broke your fast. Seriously. People don't re- think about that. Really? But you didn't break your fast until your first meal, and that was after you had where'd the you Eucharist. Get, where'd you get that? Because the word is break and fast. Okay. <laughs> so breaking your <laughs> breaking your fast is something that a lot of people don't realize that's what we do when we eat breakfast. Right. And so what breaks our fast when we're re- fasting for the Eucharist? Any kind of food. Pope Paul VI changed the rules they used to be a lot tougher but he changed the rules to make our fast more in in tune with the modern times there's nothing wrong with fasting from midnight before if you'd like to continue to do that you can but the church does ask you to fast one hour before receiving communion right and what that means is no food and no drink you can only have water and any necessary medicines during that hour before. So no coffee, no tea, no nothing. Right. And a lot of people okay. don't realize that. They come to church and they're sipping on a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you the number of times I've been walking into church and seeing people chewing gum mm-hmm. or eating mints. That breaks your fast. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of lost that spirit of fasting and we need to get it back because it's an important, important concept that the church asks us to... Uh, and Pope Paul, you said Pope Paul, Paul or Pope... Pope Paul VI was, was the one that... I thought that was Vat- was that part of Vatican II? At with the end of Vatican II, it was in oh. the third session at Vatican II. He changed those rules. Okay. And, of course, these are disciplines. Right. This is not something that we look at from Scripture and go, where does it say it has to be an hour before the right. Eucharist? Right, right, right. This is the discipline of the church. Holy Mother Church has deemed it appropriate for us to mm-hmm. do this because she knows what's best for us. Yep. She's trying to raise up some good sons and daughters of God. And this is how she does it, by implementing these disciplines. And so we need to listen to those things. Mm -hmm. And so we need to take heart, take to heart this idea of emptying ourselves, even to the nth degree, even to the 
gum and the coffee that we would have maybe right before mass. Mm-hmm. Save it for a coffee and donut after mass or a yep. big breakfast after mass. Mm-hmm. Have a big celebration after mass. Right. That would be the time to do that. We need to bring fasting back into our practice, and there's, there's lots of different opportunities we might have to do that. And some have done that. Some have maybe even uh, added a fast day into their weekly schedule. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, Wednesday and then changed to Saturday in the early church were days of fasting as well as Fridays. Fridays were days of penance and often days of fasting because that was the Good Friday. It reminded us of what happened on Good Friday with Mm -hmm. with Jesus being hung on the cross. Mm -hmm. But some people added Wednesdays and Saturdays to that. I hate to say it, but I did not know that. These are great things that happen when you read. (laughs) (laughs) And not everything's going to show up in the comics, Tom. Well, you know, if it doesn't have a picture, it just goes right by me. (laughs) I understand. Well, that's what this show's all about, right? (laughs) We're just trying to bring that out so people understand. But the concept is some people are adding an extra day of a week, and they're offering that to God and saying, I'm going to fast on this day. Okay. Then there's also people that just fast more often, say, during Lent. That during that particular right. time, they want to unite themselves with that liturgical season, and they fast more often. Makes sense. We're only called during Lent to fast the Ash Wednesday and the Good Friday. Good Friday. Mm-hmm. Why not add a couple extra days a week and fast? And then there's one great penance. I, I got it at confession one time, and he talked about a power fast. I guess maybe he had just been reading something about power naps or something in the corporate world. Right. But this is a power fast, he called it. And he said, just pick a time of day and offer that. Skip a meal, but make sure you offer that to God. Skip two meals. Uh, fast until dinner time. Skip, I like that. Skip your breakfast and your lunch. And when you start feeling those hunger pangs, they're going to get really intense around uh, 4 or 5 o'clock, right. you're going to feel the pain right then because your body's used to eating. Yeah. You would have had two meals by then. Offer that up to God. I like that. And that's a good one. Then you can eat your regular meal with your family because a lot of times fasting will take you out of that regular meal cycle if you're fasting for the entire day. But And it's good to sit down with the family. And if you're going to fast more often, mm-hmm. maybe not to the detriment of having those good family times because a lot of people find it hard to sit around with family often because they're working all day, right? right. And right. so that evening meals is a good family time. So maybe a way to do it is to fast during the day, then have that evening meal. But make sure you prayerfully offer that fast for God's purposes. That would be an awesome thing to do. It would be. And again, whatever you do, you should do it in a prayerful and offering spirit and that you should empty yourself of the world so that you can fill yourself with God. If you've remembered anything in this show... I think that would be the thing to remember. Good advice, Deacon Jeff. There you go. So uh, we should probably rate this show. You know, on a scale of zero to six, I'd give it a six. That's 100%. It is. Think of the odds. Well, we're proud and happy to receive 100% on your rating scale, Tom. All right, great. Thanks, Tom. You're welcome. Well, let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, you desire us to draw nearer to you and to be filled with your grace and blessings. Help us to empty ourselves of our worldly concerns so that we may be forever overflowing with the joys of your heavenly kingdom. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.